I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to this latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i am your host jessica dwyer and back for another episode is my cohort in crime and my co-hostess with the mostest miss rachel moore why good evening and i am back from the wonders of the portland wizard world which we will be talking about later on in the show as we will also be talking about the possible series finale if not season finale of dracula that happened oh my god that 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 was if that's the way it goes out i'm okay with it but no no but there's one specific reason which we'll talk about later that i'm okay with it because it's so rare Um, but before we get into our discussions of the, of the night, um, we have a week in geek to get through and the big news, the big news of the week, at least for me and my millions of fellow Whovians is the fact that we finally got to see Peter Capaldi's costume and it has broken Tumblr. It broke Tumblr for a little bit. And then uh, now everybody is is figuring out, you know, everybody looked at it and was like, this seems suspiciously familiar. And everybody instantly went to the John Pertwee pictures and discovered, oh, yeah, he's basically updated Pertwee's wardrobe and is (laughs) basically cosplaying his own character, which is what he's doing. (laughs) And with the red, black, and the white, and he's added his own Capaldi touch to it as one of our um, Tumblr Tumblr people uh, pointed out he's wearing his own Doc Martens, much like David David Tennant was wearing his own uh, Converse's. Capaldi's wearing his own Doc Martens because he's just that badass. But it looks great. There's no scarf for which many of us are sad. Um, but there has been a breakdown of the of the look, and um, apparently it broke. The Crombie Coat Maker website. <laughs> it it really did because uh, he is wearing a Crombie coat, which is uh, based in Scotland. Surprise! And they um, people were trying uh, immediately after the the costume, which is so is beautiful. It's a great look. He looks badass, and um, his own words on this are: he's woven the future from the cloth of the past. 
Simple, stark, and back to basics. No frills, no scarf, no messing. Just 100% rebel time, Lord. Coming soon for Mess de Lauder. Rebel time, Lord. <laughs> I'd wear it all over. Um, but anyway... Uh, so yes, the Crombie Coat website broke because people were immediately trying to buy the coat. He's wearing just a, uh, really nice white pressed t- white pressed shirt, no tie, no cravat, no nothing like that. Um, he's got a cardigan on underneath. Uh, and as I said, these really pretty shiny Doc Martens that look like the kind that a punk would wear, which he's an ex-punk. I guess you're never an ex-punk. You're always a punk at heart. <laughs> and uh, the only bad thing, the only thing that makes me sad is his floppy, pretty, crazy, mad scientist hair is gone. He's got it cut down kind of close. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, I kind of, nah, I wanted him to have the, the crazy um, Dr. Pretorius hair that looks so awesome. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe it'll come back and get floppy. Um uh. But uh, anyway, he he looks just badass. And today, um, as they were filming, uh, it leaked pictures of he and Clara on, um, you know, Jenna Coleman filming. And there was a scene where she hugs him. And it's this big scene where um, she gets a phone call. No one knows, you know, we didn't get clear audio of what's going on. I mean, there's only so many telephoto lenses and the abilities that they have that were in, in Cardiff. So there's only so many cameras and the abilities and things that they could catch. So what in this scene, we see Clara get a phone call on her cell phone. She looks distraught. The doctor looks like he's going to leave. And then he turns to her. She walks back to him. Something is said, and she hugs him. And he is like, he doesn't know how to hug. It's this really awesome scene, though. It's like he's either overcome with, what do I do here? Or, you know, and then I think he finally hugs her. And uh, rumors spread immediately on who was on the other end of the phone. (laughs) And so one person who tried to destroy me, and my heart. <laughs> not that you're taking it personally not or that anything. Decided to say, oh, she just was told about Sarah Jane dying. And, no. And, and I, I was like, if they do that, because they did a phone call to tell him that the Brigadier had died in the right. show. If they do a phone call about Sarah Jane passing away, I will cut myself and it will be deep. And I will bleed to death at my desk. Um, can no, that's not. And, we're not advocating that. Um, Please don't do that. Uh, but the other one that makes a lot more sense and um, would kind of be a nice thing for them to do, I guess, is um, it was eleven, and that was the reason that the phone had been in in the at the end of the of the Christmas special. The phone was hanging off the hook. Was um, that he called her? knowing that she would have issues with this because she's never lived through a regeneration, even though I still have problems with her not buying who he is or being weirded out about it because of her supposed history with the doctor, um, that uh, she's never actually been there for a regeneration. And he calls her to say, Clara, I know you're having a hard time, um, but it's me. 
he's still me. No matter what he looks like, no matter what he says, he's still me and he needs you kind of a thing. And that's why she changes her mind and that's why she goes to back to him and, and there's that touching scene of Claire finally accepting 12. So I can kind of buy that. I hope it's that and not Sarah Jane because I will cut myself. <laughs> uh, just being being real. Just being real. Um, not okay. But I, I absolutely loved it. There's already millions and millions upon millions of gifts out there um, that have already been born from this, including people making him dance. So <laughs> this picture of him. <laughs> um, so yeah, the doctor suit is as, as awesome as I could hope for, and Capaldi had much to do with it. So yay, Pertwee! Pertwee's alive in Capaldi. <laughs> well, that's good because that was my favorite. Well, it's three is awesome, and he was the one that Capaldi grew up with and met numerous times as he. Mm-hmm fanboyed out so i i'm just he is cosplaying himself that that's the best part of this he is a cosplayer basically <laughs> he's cosplaying three as he plays 12 um so moving on paul williams who is a favorite of mine from for reasons numerous to mention you know rainbow connection phantom of the paradise he he's and if you've never seen the the documentary that he did, um, still alive. I mean, Paul Williams is still alive. He it's just phenomenal, and you really mm-hmm. should watch it. Um, Rachel's gonna freak out if she hasn't already heard about this. No, I've heard about it. I've been freaking quietly about. It actually made my day because <laughs> I woke up this morning, the day that we recorded, um, on actually a big test day at school, and just as I got myself calm, I checked the Facebook, and Pete Seeger had died who was like, I, I come, come from a folk musician family, so it just kind of devastated me for the day. And so seeing this news made me happy, and I owe that to you, Jessica, because you're the only person in my entire feed who said anything about it. <laughs> and that's because I, I, I have a psychotic love of Doug Jones and Guillermo del Toro. Um, so Paul Williams, who is friends with Guillermo del Toro because of del Toro's... <laughs> Del Toro, who lives in a house that I would pay to live in and work for him for free and be his slave if I could just, like, be there. Um, He is a huge Phantom of the Paradise fan because he's got taste. And so he and Paul Williams have bonded over that film. And now Paul Williams is writing a musical based on Pan's Labyrinth. I know. Take, take that in for a moment. <laughs> and take that take in with that the fact that our boy Dougie, Doug Jones, dreams of Broadway. And and think about what this could be and the things that they have done with like the Lion King and those giant puppet uh things that walk around a stage. It I, I can only imagine what this would be if the, if it actually comes to fruition and becomes a musical and how beautiful that will be. Oh my gosh. So with the words of Paul Williams being used too. And, oh. and moving on from, from those, that kind of music to another kind of music. I, I'm actually bummed out about this sitting into an era. Um, Motley Crue's done. Ah, really? They are. I mean, it's not like it's. I I, I know. 
but it's it's also just kind of shocking because I thought they'd like play to the grave, you know. Well, they um they today actually today the twenty eighth as we rec- have recorded this, they had a press conference and they are done. This is their final 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 tour. They're going to do seventy two shows so far. And they actually have supposedly signed a bonding document that says this will be their last and final tour forever as Motley Crue. And um, the tickets that they're going to have on sale, I there I haven't seen anything for Oregon, but I actually do want to see them in concert before they're done. So um, they have a couple of shows in Washington that are happening. And yes, Midwest boys and girls, they are coming to like Ohio and in that area. So there will be... I mean, they're going to probably go out with a bang. There's going to be quite a few shows. And they're also touring with special guest Alice Cooper, which I'm like, oh. hey. <laughs> um, the guy almost died trying to get to see in, in concert with the Scorpions. Um, but some of the tickets are actually going to be priced at like $15, um, which is super cheap. And they'll probably sell out fairly quickly. But yeah, they actually did a press conference and... According to what they're saying, um, I mean, like, I, I didn't even know, like, how, you, you don't even realize how old these guys are, because, like, one of them's sitting there in his 60s, I think they're, the youngest is, like, over, f- at least almost 50, so, yeah, um, these guys have been touring for a very long time, and I'm amazed they're all still alive, uh, and I'm sure they are, too, but <laughs> they're... <laughs> I, I know Nikki Six is. <laughs> um, but yeah, they are done. As of today, they they have announced it. So this is it for Motley Crue. No more Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> uh, also this year, um, something I know Rachel will, will be interested in, uh, D&D, Dungeons & Dragons, is turning 40. Yay! 40 years old, Dungeons & Dragons. So what they're doing is they're going to... Re- Re- release a new um, a new sis- setup, a new system where they're bringing back Tiamat and it's going to be a storyline called The Tyranny of Dragons and um, it's to help celebrate the 40th anniversary and uh, the the here's what it says, here's the, the rundown Starting this summer, fans will be immersed in the tyranny of dragons, coming face-to-face with hordes of evil dragons and, for the first time ever, will take on Tiamat, the evil five-headed queen of dragons from the Nine Hells. You can get a preview of the action on their website. It's going to be a multi-form experience through video games, mobile games, in-play store, local hobby stores, and more. This year will be a major milestone in D&D history. Wizards of the Coast has even established best-in-class partners who will bring these epic adventures with friends to life by further immersing players into the tyranny of dragons. I guess we'll see if this makes me interested in Dungeons and Dragons again, because a lot of my friends have gone to Paizo and um, Pathfinder just because we all hated the latest edition of D&D. So it'll be interesting to see what this generates. Well, hopefully, since it is like a big anniversary for them, I mean, 40 freaking years that's a long time and it is and i'm hopeful hopefully they'll they'll realize i think a lot of their hurt came from their computer games like the D &D, some of the releases they did for pc were just horrible horrible things and uh which is funny because the reason that their current D D is so bad 
the reason that 4.0 sucks is because it plays like WoW, but I don't want D&D to play like WoW. And so 3.5 was so good that, you know, we sold all those books to run out and get 4.0 because it was going to be better. And then it, it wasn't. So everyone went to Pathfinder. Well, I remember when you went out and the big deal when that new new book came out and everybody was buying it and I didn't buy it. I was, I was, I, I was, cause mainly I, I haven't really, I'm not really a gamer, but I always wait and see like, what is, you know, is it worth it on some of this stuff? And that's why I didn't buy the PC stuff, even though it sounded really good. And then I heard just horrible things about like the last couple of PC games. Like I think the best, the last good release for a, a PC gamer for a D and D game was like, Baldur's Gate, you know, that kind of thing. And, right. and, and how long ago was that? That was like a while. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I love Tiamat. I remember this, you know, reading about the dragon and, and how cool it looked. And, you know, I love the cartoon series and she was in that. And, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see. And it sounds like they're going to blitzkrieg every platform you can imagine. So that means maybe we'll get some really cool stuff for the iPad. And hopefully some stuff for the, the people. I, I just yeah. want a tabletop that is fun to play again because I just want one that's not that's not so dumb as 4.0 because 3.5 was so much fun and especially if you were playing Eberron and you know that was that was what got me back into Dungeons and Dragons after not playing for years and coincidentally got me married so <laughs> but um, you know I think. I think it could be really interesting, and I'm I'm I, I'm always hopeful because I think the nice thing is they are innovative, and we'll see what they come up with. Well, and kind of uh, um, moving on from that to the the RPG that has kind of taken over everybody, Elder Scrolls. Um, if you now the big thing is Elder Scrolls Online is coming out, and that should be interesting to see how that affects like WoW and and all the um, MMOs that are, are going on. Uh, but the big thing that, that a lot of people were, are concerned about, and I didn't even realize until I started doing some research, because we have a PS4, is the fact that to play MMOs on the PS4, it requires you to have this thing called um, a place, you have to have a PlayStation Plus membership to play online, and it costs you $50. On top of everything else that you're paying. That's so weird. And and that, I guess that's the same with Xbox Live. Um, or Xbox Live Gold memberships is the same. It's like if, an issue. I haven't, I haven't even played. You know, I, I got rid of my Xbox. So Yeah, so, well, he, the thing is, you have to pay this if you want to play MMOs on, on these set systems. So crazy. Well, so here's the thing. Um, if you figure out you're paying $60 for the game baseline. Now, this is not the same with a PC, by the way, guys. This is why I love my PC games, because you don't have to pay this crazy crap. You, you, you're you online, you know. Um, but you pay 50 bucks, 60 bucks for the game, and then you're paying the monthly fee. And then, apparently, if you have a PS4 or an Xbox Live or an Xbox One, you have to pay $50 on top of that a year to have your membership. I don't even know if that's a year. I, uh, that's a, uh, at least 50 bucks. So it's kind of nuts. So what they announced this week is that um, 
Elder Scrolls Online will not require you to be a PlayStation Plus member to play online for the PS4. If you have a PS4, you don't have to have that membership. You can just buy the game and you pay your monthly fee. So that's pretty nice. Um, so what they don't know about is if that's going to be the case with um, the Xbox. So Microsoft might not have that to do um, or not. They have to find out. But for the, if you're a PlayStation owner, you don't have to pay it, which is nice. <laughs> Yeah, that is nice. Even though if you bought the PlayStation, you're already out like 200 and something bucks. So there's, there's that. Yeah, and and honestly, we bought one. I don't see the big deal about it. I I, I you know, we got it. I'm happy I ha- now I have the PS3 in my office. So I don't really see the, the what makes the PS4 special. Yeah, I haven't gotten one yet. I was waiting a little while because I'm still really happy with my PS3. Yeah. And and right now I'm not gaming because I'm in school, so I'm not doing as much um, because we know that I play games like a crackhead. So, <laughs> and, Well, and, and my husband only plays the basketball game on it. So, Well, and the other thing is that, you know me, I play these little kid games and they're like, candy colored and I sit down and I think that I've only been playing for 15 minutes and pretty soon my husband's like it's been two days maybe you should like eat something and take a shower <laughs> so I can't play during the school year uh, yeah no I I don't I, I don't understand the um, I, I, I'm trying to figure out what makes it spe- more special I mean the graphics are beautiful but I don't I don't see that much of a difference between the PS3 right. and the PS4 so I'm sure as things progress and more things are added to it, it'll be, it'll it'll show that it is a better system and, it, and the improvements will will make sense to me. But I'm I'm sloppy with my PS3. Um, and last but not least, before we get into our uh, Dracula and Wizard World uh, section, Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino, as if there are any others. Uh, is suing Gawker over the whole Hateful Eight debacle. Uh, I don't know. I don't think Rachel was on the episode where I talked about this whole leak about the Hateful Eight script that happened. And it's it's a messy thing. Poor Quentin Tarantino. No, he, I, I heard about that. He has had a bad last year with the whole Leanne Spider Baby debacle. And now this... He's just not had a good time. He's been pretty much screwed over by a lot of people that he's held close to him. And they still haven't told us who was responsible. Um, It was one of two possible actors. Um, Bruce Dern or Michael Madsen showed this script to one of their agents. And that agent decided to show it to a bunch of actors they thought would be good for the roles. And that's how it got out. What? That's how it got out. One, they're not going to say which one of them was responsible. They just narrowed it down to that because he only had six copies that he gave out. <clears throat> and so they know who did it. But here's where it gets bad is that it made its way online. And the reason he's suing Gawker, and I am on his side about this. Typically, I am one of these people It's like, ah, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, it's, you know, how, why are you suing this when you should be suing whoever leaked it? But I see why he's doing this. Because Gawker 
did something really stupid for a website. Really, 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 really stupid. They posted the link to where you can go read the script. Yeah. And that's where you do something stupid. Because you're a, you're betting and helping along piracy. You're yeah. you're you're Well, it's not even piracy, it's straight up like it's stealing. It's it's stealing cuz it was it was his at that point. It didn't even belong to anyone right. yet. Yeah, it was a leaked thing that he had not given permission to be put, posted out there that it was a first draft. It wasn't even a finished draft, you know, finished script. And so what Gawker did was they basically posted the link to where, oh, if you want to read this, it's here. Well, that's not smart. <laughs> you're basic. You're you're basically like it would be, it would be like if say someone had a Oscar screener for Twelve Years a Slave, and they had posted it on like YouTube. It'd be like me going, oh, here, do you want to watch 12 Years a Slave for free? Here's the link. Uh, no. Not cool. Not cool. So Quentin has decided I'm taking Gawker to court because you basically, you know, the lawsuit says. And well, you know, it's, it's one thing for a bunch of, of industry people to have a, to read it and pass it around. And, you know, that's tragic enough. But to put it on so just anybody, I mean... Right, and, and the Gawker's defense is that they, we didn't host it. We just, uh, we just posted the link. And it doesn't matter. You're still, you're a, a, a news website, a really well-known one, and this got you a bunch of hits. And that's the only reason you did this. And now it's come back to bite you in the ass. And I don't blame him. You know, I, I, he's, he has every right to be pissed off about this. And and to to try and stop it from happening again, you know. Uh, so yeah, I uh, I'm on his side in this one. Uh, he, they had no. They, that's a stupid. You were just stupid, and now you're paying for it, or you're going to be paying your lawyers for it. However, this plays out, um, he's going to win because he has, you know, the right. So it's it's just a mess, and I feel bad for him because he's already had to deal with the fallout of that crap with Leanne, and now this. So I'm just poor Quentin, poor Quentin Tarantino. I just I don't think those words will ever cross my lips, even though I agree <laughs> that what happened was bad. I, I I love him. I don't care how crazy he is. <laughs> I don't care how psychotic, that's so weird, freaky dude. I love him. He uh, he grew up in in the South, r- running a video store. So if I had been the the weirdo in the video store, he's basically me, with talent. <clears throat> so, <laughs> um, so moving on to Portland Wizard World. Um, so Por- Portland Wizard World happened um, this previous weekend, and it has gotten bigger. Uh, this is the second convention that has um, that Wizard has done in Portland, and it's just gotten bigger and bigger. Uh, this year, they had a ton of guests. Um, Shatner was there, Ron Perlman, Adam Weston, Burt Ward. They had Billy Dee Williams. The DeLorean was there. I saw that. The DeLorean was there, and so was the Supernatural car. <gasps> oh, my goodness. You are so lucky my husband did not know that. 
Yeah, it was there, and they even had the trunk that opened up and had the whole demon kit and everything. Oh, yeah, you're the one who's going to have to tell him that, because I can't. <laughs> Stanley was there, all 91, 92 years old, and, and running around and talking and doing all kinds of stuff. Rooker, Kim Coates, Summer Glau, um, Robert England, first time at a wizard convention, Cassandra Peterson, a.k.a. Elvira, Linda Blair, Lori Holden, and, of course, Norman Reedus, who... Um, had like of course the biggest line i think it was between him and stanley who had the larger line uh so yeah it was a massive show tons and tons and tons and tons of art uh i was overwhelmed with the artwork there were some beautiful things there i uh i was really impressed with it it seemed like there was more art this time and that, and that really stood out to me um just some lovely stuff um, you know, comic book art, movie art, um, original pieces, just a lot of great things. I would just walk in the room and fling my money in the air. Basically, that see is what, what came to me. That is what you do. You, you throw money in the air. There was like hand, hand carved, um, leather bound journals, handmade stuff, just gorgeous things. The thing with Wizard World which is kind of crazy though, is, is it's expensive. Um, really? It, it is very expensive in terms of, okay, $70, I think it was to get in for a three day pass. And then that's just to get in. Uh, you, you, you gotta be prepared for the prices at, at wizard world because the, each guest is going to charge you for autographs. And then on top of that, some of them will not take photos with you at their table. You will have to do the photo op if you want a photo with them. Now, to give you an idea of the the, the prices, um, Adam West alone was $70 for a photo op. If you wanted Adam West and Burt Ward, it was 115 if you wanted Adam West, Whoa. Oh, oh no, no, it gets better. If you wanted Adam West and William Shatner together, it was a hundred and fifty dollars. Um, now that seems, that seems prohibitive. Were they trying to keep the lines down or something? No, um, the photo op area has its own separate area for lines. You don't. This was a photo op. Now that doesn't include an autograph. The autographs are, are set by the celebrities, and I, I couldn't tell you offhand what they were charging. Um, well, but that's, you know, that's how celebrities m make the money to come to the event. So that that almost doesn't bother me. But, like, when they do that, it means that if they want to take pictures with their fans that show up and stuff, it, it starts to become more complicated. Right. And, and it's it can get very, very expensive. Uh, Stan Lee by himself was a hundred dollars for a photo. So, and then they had like VIP packages that you could get and, uh, the, they ranged anywhere from, for Stan Lee, I think that one went 200 to 250 or something. Um, and then Shatner had a VIP package. Norman Reedus had a VIP package. Bruce Campbell had a VIP package. So you just got to be prepared for how expensive this is going to be for you when you go in. Not to this is not to try to dissuade you from going. Just be prepared for how much this is because I know I have friends that were like, "I want to meet Stan Lee. I want to, you know, because 
he's not going to be doing many more of these, I don't think. I mean, he's getting up there in years. So you've got to weigh how important it is for you and who you want to see. So just plan for that. Um, the, I, I have to say I loved how in a show this packed full of people, it was very easy to move around. They Wizard World is, seems to be very on the ball when it comes to laying out their setup. They have one area where all the people are, and that's it, the autograph area. Then they have the photo op area, and then they have their dealer's area. And it's very easy to move around, which is good. That's very hand, That's really nice and not overwhelming. Um, the other thing that they have are panels. And the panels are great. Um, the only one that I think... that The panels are included in your... In your um, getting in in your in your your ticket uh the only one there's some of them that are um that that charge but there's not many uh, most of these are included the uh the one that i went to i went to a couple of them uh, i went to the robert england q a which was phenomenal if you ever get a chance to see robert england at a convention where he's talking to the audience and you get to ask questions the man is a walking, talking storybook of 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 Hollywood, because he's he's a storyteller. He loves talking to people that have been in the industry, so he can. He's a firm believer in passing on stories, and he was talking about working with John Saxon, who was talking to him about working with, oh, um, like Bruce Lee and he, how he knew James Dean and stuff like that, hmm. which is really cool, <laughs> you know. Right. And, and and also Robert England is a theater actor, so he was talking about how he always wanted to be Iago. How many times have you seen Robert England now? Um, in person, I've seen him th- three times. Uh, I thought it was more than that. No, I've only seen him three times. The first time I was 16, if that. So, um, and then I met him again at Horror Helm Weekend where I got to spend the weekend with him, which was amazing. People thought we were married. It was funny. I wish. His wife is a, <laughs> his, so awful. His, his wife was a, a very is a very sweet and awesome lady, though. I love Nancy. Um, but it was funny because people thought, "Are you, you travel with him? Are you his wife?" Like, no, I've only met him like really today. <laughs> but it was because we were just we were just giving each other crap the whole weekend. It was great, and we got along really well because we we're both you know, blabby people, but he is so neat to see in person because he takes his time and is very thoughtful and just a great, great actor. And, and hearing him talk about Shakespeare and how he wanted to play Iago and now he thinks he's too old to do it, but he understudied for the role and how he can, he can do those soliloquies and things from the, 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 the play is just amazing. Uh, so that is a great one. So if you ever get to see him do that, uh, the other one I went to was the Doctor Who fan panel. Yeah, the Doctor Who fan panel at Wizard World Portland. It was a little disappointing. Um, one of the the people that was supposed to be on the panel didn't show up, and apparently that was the person that was like the trivia guru. I don't know who that was. Um, and they didn't just tag you in. I mean. Well, I should have just asked. Um, after after <laughs> after figuring finding out how after, after the debacle, which you have yet to debacle, recover from. After the debacle, I should have asked. 
Uh, the gentleman who was in seeing it was uh, great. He um, he seemed he. We found out that he was the one that actually interviewed Tom Baker before the 50th anniversary special came out, and was the one that broke the news that Tom was going to be in it. So he has he had cred. Um, the other gentleman, and I can't remember their names. Um, the one gentleman actually owns a Doctor Who bar up in Portland, which I did not know about, called the Tardis Room, which sounds amazing, and I'd love to go, and at some point I'm going to. We're going to have to. Yeah. And the Lovecraft Bar. And the Lovecraft Bar. Um, the other one that um, was on the panel was a gentleman who apparently wrote for the IDW comics, and he made a point of saying how when he met Karen Gillian at Comic-Con, he was drunk and really drunk and told her on at length how he loved her. And so then they gave it out, you know, they, they went out and asked for questions from the audience. And I went up and I, my question was about, you know, a very serious one, which was what was your response to the ageist comments coming out about Peter Capaldi being um, cast as the doctor? What did you think about this when, you know, the history of the show has shown that the average age of the doctor is like 40 you know, and all these actors who have played the role, were you surprised by this? You know, how did you react? Complete silence for 20 seconds as they kind of tried to figure out, huh, what she's actually asking something that requires thought. Um, So comic book guy, he was like, he didn't help. It all. needed to be our comic book guy. It needed to be Matthew Dowd Smith. Yes. But, but it wasn't. And so th- <laughs> this guy. Clearly. Yeah, this guy um, decided to say that he couldn't see Peter Capaldi being thought of as a, in a romantic lead type of way. Women running to the TARDIS to voyage through the galaxy with him or anything like that. Um, the gentleman that owned, owned the TARDIS bar, he um, actually said he's very happy about it. He thought it was you know, he couldn't get over, he didn't really think about the ageist stuff. And the gentleman who was emceeing it, he he replied that he thought it was mainly American audiences that did that, which we know for a fact wasn't the case. A lot of the girls in the UK, a lot of women in the UK were very pissed off. Uh, so I sat back down and I actually yelled out at one point, Silver Fox Baby, and... <laughs> And like it, you do. Like I do. <laughs> Not about Capaldi. You just yell that intermittently yeah, during the threats. In the um, middle of in the middle of movies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That actually has happened though. Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> but also on top of that, he said that he didn't like Donna when they someone asked the, it it went from my question to what's your favorite screwdriver? What's your favorite what's the most useful Dalek? Which I still can't figure out i would say the clara one but you know um and but the the one like what's your favorite screwdriver was sort of really this is what we're gonna ask um but when he said that he his least favorite companion was donna and the reason for that was i know what they were going for but it didn't work kind of made me go huh i get it you're you're really coming off as the guy who only likes a companion when they're in a short skirt. Yeah. So I 
kind of have a problem with that, guys. Really. really Not that she hasn't been posting endlessly about it on Tumblr and Facebook. Uh, you know... I'm not the only one. I've had... No, it's always a problem when they have denigrated the fandom to being just about what, you know, they, you asked an actual question about, and it wasn't about, it was actually about the sexual, sexualization of Doctor Who and why that mattered to the choosing of the Doctor. And also... Why it shouldn't matter, and they just didn't want to answer it. It was too much. Also, I had a problem with the fact that they were focusing solely on the new stuff. And he had never, and he even admitted during the thing that he never watched the show before and started with Tenet, I think. So he, no one even mentioned Sarah Jane, no one mentioned the Brigadier, no one mentioned any of the original stuff. And I, I have a problem with that, too. It's like, this is a Doctor Who fan panel. We should be talking about the entirety of the series. And we had some people come up and do that later on, but not enough. And, and I just, yeah. That kind of soured it for me. So, yeah. Portland Wizard World. I was surprised, though, Summer Glau's um, autograph line was almost as long as Norman Reedus's. Why were why were you surprised about that? I just didn't realize that she would garner that Are big of a line. Are you joking? I I'm <laughs> sorry. You're on crack. But um, also the other thing that I couldn't believe was how few of the guests were at their booths. Because Friday, I basically just did a circle. I walked probably ten miles on Friday, just Good going Lord. through the autograph area and going through the the dealer area. And I never once saw Ron Perlman. I didn't see Shatner. I only saw Stan Lee for a moment. Lori Holden. You could have seen Shatner and never knew it. He has a tendency to troll cons. Well, I only saw, I I mean, he never was at his booth. And then Bruce. (laughs) Because he has a tendency to put on a mask and troll cons anonymously. Bruce Campbell and Ted Raimi never saw them. Um, My my friend saw um, Bruce Campbell and Ted Raimi. He put up pictures. Oh, I actually have a random Weekend Geek. Oh, go for it. Grand Budapest Hotel has a website now called, uh, I think it's grandbudapesthotel.com. And it's their official website. And there's going to be lots of stuff added to it. But it has all the clips so far up. What is the Grand Budapest Hotel? That is the new, that's the new Wes Anderson movie. I know that. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Well, I don't understand people who don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be clear. <laughs> Good, fair enough. Fair enough. So the Grand Budapest Hotel website.com. Uh, <laughs> the website for the new Wes Anderson film is up, and that has Voldemort in it, doesn't it? <laughs> it has Ray Fiennes. It has everybody in it. It has Bill Murray. um, Susha Ronan, Edward Norton, Jude Law, Tilda Swinton, just like everybody. Jason Schwartzman, of course. It's it's my husband walked by the the poster and he goes, Oh God, that looks like a Wes Anderson movie. And I'm like, it is! It's coming out in the spring. And he went, Oh no, I'm that guy who knows Wes Anderson movies by the poster. Thanks, wife. <laughs> <laughs> but it has the trailers up there and um all the clips that are available so far. So 
Speaking of clips that are available so far, did you see the international trailer for Only Lovers Left Alive? Yes, I did. Yeah, that's problematic. Did you hear the news that they're going to be do screenings in, on Valentine's Day? Oh, good grief. Do not tell fangirl Kristen. Fangirl Kristen probably already knows if she is a good fangirl. I'm going to have to drive her home. Well, she's been avoiding the internet lately, so you can <laughs> probably blow her mind. But yes, Only Lovers Left Alive, for those of you that don't know, um, is the new vampire film coming out finally this year with Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. Also, Mia Wasikowska. Is that how you say her name, Wasikowski? And for once, I butcher a name. And um, uh, I keep on wanting to call him... Anton Yeltsin. Yeah, I keep on wanting to call him Anton Chekhov, and that's not right. And... and- <laughs> And nice. John, and, and John, John Hurt, who's playing Christopher Marlowe. Yes. John Hurt, who is the war doctor. Ah. <laughs> We're going to make that a Doctor Who thing. Mm. You're like that You're like that Doctor Who fan that like changes every Tumblr post to be about Doctor Who. Yes, that is my life. That is my life now. So, Dracula. Yes. I am going to hand this over to Rachel because I was, I, I'm still trying to get over it. I'm trying I'm trying a new thing tonight where I'm going to read a little bit of my thoughts that I have actually written out for you. Um, so if it works, I'll do more of these. So let us know on our Facebook page or on our Tumblr if this is a feature you like. I keep trying to be finished with vampires. I'm in my post-Goth, post-Anne Rice, post-Gary Oldman in a gray suit phase of life. In short, I'm a grown-up. It's fair to say that when the Anita Blake or Sookie Stackhouse books came out, I was interested for a minute, but the predictability and tired old parallels were always there. When Jessica invited me over to preview Dracula, produced by by and starring um, Jonathan Rice Myers, I was not as optimistic. I don't like vampires just because they're vampires. The the first thing that caught me off guard about the series was the lushness, super saturated sets with the kind of perfect costuming that I associate with 80s period pieces. It It weirdly called back fond memories of watching Amadeus or even Labyrinth. Add this to a steampunk storyline that capitalizes on the current fascination of the Ford Edison feud with Tesla, and I was going to watch. The crux of this story is a true old-school vampire who craves love and beauty and light and yet by nature cannot live in any of this. This is not a neo-Nosferatu who can go vegetarian and have no consequences but past personal discomfort. This is a warlord cursed to become a demonic being with a memory of, a, of his humanity. Dracula, who does not struggle with salvation like Lestat or has the relief of family like Edward. This is a creature of desire, of lust, and battle. Any gentleness in him is either present to serve that nature or is shaped and twisted by that nature. We see this in his acts of so-called kindness, which are really manipulations. We see this in his pain over Mina's pain, manifesting and siring in blood. We see this in his sleeping with the enemy to keep himself from sullying what he sees as pure. We're asked to find him sympathetic. He doesn't discriminate about race, sexual preference, or gender. And yet, he will exploit all in his pursuits. He has style, taste, and a gentleman's life. And yet, are they not just a mask for the monster beneath? Dracula flirts with being Alexander Grayson. To walk in the light, 
to not drink blood to be philanthropic, but it is a failed experiment. Perhaps Van Helsing's serum never worked well because he knows that the monster is caged, not tamed, and will eventually be responsible for ending what he began. Perhaps we root for Dracula because we feel like monsters who cannot fight their nature. Perhaps this is less than palatable to consider um, than vamps that experience redemption, and this is why the series is in trouble. Perhaps we will miss a larger story of the nature of good and evil if we leave Renfield bleeding, um, Mina discovering herself, Harker pledged to a religious cult, and uh, sustainable power threatened. I really can't imagine not being able to know what happens next. Isn't that the hallmark of good storytelling? Dracula has not been renewed. The whole first season is up on Hulu+. Plus. It's unthinkable to me that in an internet age where the genre fandom is so very present that we might lose the most innovative retelling we've seen in a while. How are there ever more Twilight, Saw, paranormal activities, and yet Dracula, Dracula is suffering? And that is what I ask you, Jessica. You know, when I got when when I heard about this happening, when this show was, was was brought forth, I was under the impression it would only be ten episodes. So, when I talked to Cole Haddon, the, the man who created it, and he told me, "Oh no, it can go on. I I have you know, if if we get renewed, I have plans. I have this. You know, we can go multiple seasons." And I I had the glimmer of hope flashed in front of me like the sun to a vampire oh (laughs) and it burns now because we probably won't be getting it and that why and that sucks but here's here's my one little glimmer of happy if it ends like this with you know we've got the setup for van helsing and harker versus dracula which is great and i love our our badass hard-ass Van Helsing that we've got out of Thomas Cretchen. Um, if, if we have it set up where that's going to happen and, you know, me and, and, and Lucy is now a vampire and she's attacking her mother and that's where we leave off. And then we have, um, you know, Lady Jane is, is dead. She's dead. She's done. The order has been dis- pretty much destroyed. You've got Renfield Lane. They're probably dead, which is, he dies in the book. So, this is not a big deal. Oh, I'm going to feel to die. But, but the big thing to take away from this, Dracula got the girl. In the end. Oh my gosh, is that really what you liked about it? In the end, Dracula got the girl. Oh my Jessica. You know what? If this is how it ends, he won. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, is that it depends on if he's the hero or if he's the villain, I guess. He's always the hero to me. (laughs) Dracula is always the hero. Because he, the only lie he ever said to anybody, really, was that his name was Alexander Grayson. He never lied to Mina. He couldn't. He never really lied to her. Jonathan chose to screw Lucy... Lucy chose to do that herself. She betrayed her friend, you know, was always a subterfuge. And she, you know, Mina was accepting her back into her life. And then she said, oh, yeah, I bailed your boyfriend. You know, and then, you know, Van Helsing was always out for revenge. 
and it was never enough for him. He was a, he was more he was just as much of a monster as, as Grayson as Dracula was. And but the worst of the bunch was Harker. He betrayed everything. Yeah. Well, Harker. Har- I've never liked Harker. Harker. The problem is that the, our Harker is never a good. He's not really represent, representation of a good guy. He's a representation of mediocrity. Yeah, exactly. In any in any form, like there's never an awesome Harker. There's never a Harker that rivals Dracula. I don't think so. I'm I'm trying. I'm racking my brain. It sure isn't the Keanu Reeves version. Um, <laughs> but you know, I what uh, I I, I kind of like the fact that in this, uh, Cole Haddon, you know, he is a huge Hammer Horror nut, and I like the fact that he ended this with Harker going to Van Helsing and the two of them teaming up to defeat Dracula, which is kind of how the beginning of, of Horror of Dracula started. Or, um, yeah, Horror of Dracula started. It would just be such a great next season. I, you know, it, we haven't heard that it's been canceled either. It just hasn't been renewed yet. So what I'm telling people is go out, go to Hulu Plus and watch it because they're watching those online numbers and they need to know that people are watching it. So if you're waiting, don't. Yes, go go marathon this because you will definitely marathon it. And and we want this sticking around because it is one of the few original takes on a classic vampire story that has been done to death, no pun intended. And this is the most original take I've seen on Dracula in a very, very long time. And what's great about it is not only is it original, but it plays homage to the classics and it pays homage to the, the stereotype, you know, gothic hero version of Dracula that we know. Plus it is historical in, in a lot of ways. So check it out. Please. And NBC, please, please renew this. Give us back our Dracula. So my sister and I can be very happy. Please. So we know what the hell happened. <laughs> I'm sad now. And the reason we only had 10 episodes. <laughs> I only reason. <laughs> you just like went right into sad. I thought you were about to make a joke. The only just, reason no, just, we only had. You're going to sit there and be sad. I'm going to be sit there and be sad. No, the only reason we have 10 episodes is because it's a British co-production and they have limited s- series. Well, let's let's talk about something happy then. Let's talk about how pretty um, Tim Omenson was on Supernatural. I didn't watch it. <gasps> I, I... Oh my gosh, Jess, let me tell you. So <laughs> Tim Omenson was guest star on Supernatural, and there may be some spoilers here, listeners, but not too many because Jessica. And so he was on, and he has a full beard, and his hair's kind of long, and he's totally like the anti-Lassiter, and he's completely gorgeous, and he plays a very key figure, and Dean does a dumbass thing, and because Dean, and you should watch it because it would make you feel a lot better. Here's the thing. I'm I'm still on season one of Supernatural. Oh my god, Jess, it doesn't even get good till season three. I'm still on season one, and I kind of don't want to watch it. Because also, bring me my Tim Omenson. Can you bring him to me, please? He is. Can you? He, he is. Please. He is pretty. Can you? Please. He is pretty. Actually, <laughs> he is. Well, and he's smart, and he's funny, and I would like him on the show. Thank you very much. I will try. Um, but yeah, I I still am on season one. I, I'm I'm almost afraid <sighs> to keep going because I know that Castile shows up, and apparently he's going to steal my soul. 
Well, he Castiel is pretty awesome, but I, you just have to understand that the reason that you personally are going to like the show, it's not necessarily the reason other people like the show, is that it starts with the boy's mother burning on the ceiling. And it just and, goes downhill from there. Yeah, it gets angstier from there out. So, like, I just think it's fair to say that it is not, you know, I, I kind of think of season one as the happy season. I've heard this. I, I'm almost afraid to keep going. Um, but I think we've ran out of time. But yeah, I I will try my best to, to fulfill Rachel's wish and get Tim Momensen on the show. We'll see if I can do that. Um, but guys, thank you so much for listening. Rachel, thank you again. That was a beautiful piece for Dracula. Thank you. I liked it. We should do that more often. And uh, with that, guys, thank you again for listening. We will see you next week on Fangirl Radio. Peace out. And yes, I just said that. Ha <laughs> ha!